Hoo-ha! Yes. Well, that would be my terrible Pacino. You've previously heard my terrible McConaughey. Uh, if we stick around until Christmas, you'll probably hear my Elvis, and that will be about as good as it gets. What if this is as good as it gets? That would be unfortunate. But we are just going to get better and better. Just like plastic surgery, the more you do, the better you get. Uh, I like to think of this kind of like the early episodes of Seinfeld, which were okay, but once they got rolling, they got fantastic, and that's what we're going to do. So just like Seinfeld, we've got a cast, myself, Dr. Byron Poindexter, and my partners, Dr. Robert Siegel, Dr. Christopher Knotts, and Dr. George Weston. We are here, Plastic Surgery Nation, to uh, answer your burning questions about plastic surgery. Well, we'll see. The doctors would disagree, but what do they know? We're going to answer your questions and give you the truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! So, this is what we call our FAQ episodes. We're going to give you the things that we hear most commonly. What are the questions that people ask us? Tell me something, my friend. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Listen, what do you think I am? A piece of ripe fruit you can squeeze the juice out of and cast aside? So at this point, my wife, who is being forced by me to listen to this, is thinking one of two things. Uh-oh. We got a moron here. Is that it? Or... What do they teach you to talk like this in some Panama City sailor want a hump hump bar? And she's probably right. So, the questions that we will have before us today are going to be things like, Does it hurt? How much does it cost? What if I don't like the outcome? Am I too old? 66 must sound pretty old to a young fellow like yourself. The truth is, it sounds pretty old to me too. Definitely not too old. So now... I want you to sit back and enjoy the conversation that we have between me and some of those closest to me. My father taught me many things. He taught me, keep your friends close, but your enemies close. Don't forget to visit us at Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, hyphen Weston, W-E-S-T-O-N, dot com. Go to the inquiry section and send us your questions. Never had that one. Well, that's that's Dr. Weston talking. I've got Dr. Knotts in here with me, and we are now on to the uh, the rapid fire question and answer session. Uh, Dr. Siegel is not here. He's skiing. He's in Venice. Oh, he's in Venice right now. Okay. Uh, they posted some pictures on Instagram. Um, or Facebook or something of him and his wife at a masquerade ball at a palace in okay. Venice. Fantastic. So he's, he's, we're here working and he's out uh, masquerading around Italy. Good. I guess that maybe could be the first question you ask your surgeon when you're interviewing, because we're doing this for people all over the country, not just people right here, is um, who's going to take care of me when you're not here? Yes. That, that is something that you don't get asked often enough because you would think um, that it would that your surgeon's going to be in town, you know, if you have surgery, that they're going to be around the next day. And that's not always the case. You may have uh, someone like Dr. Siegel that's going to Venice, Italy, and who is going to be the person um, that if you had a complication afterwards, something that's, you know, relatively urgent, like if there was some bleeding or uh, an early infection, who's going to be around? Um, the great thing about our practice is that we have four surgeons and four people that are all board certified and should know how to take care of all of um, all of the complications that can come up after plastic surgery. So if, um, and it hasn't happened, but if it did, if Dr. Siegel's patient this week had a problem, um, they could come in and there would be one of us here. 
Yeah. Um, and, and that even is on the weekends to help take care of things. So that is a question, you know, our answer is we have other surgeons cover us. Um, I've actually seen patients for other surgeons in town. If they're going out of town, they might call and say, hey, could you cover my practice? So if it's somebody in solo practice, that's what they might be doing. They might have another surgeon down the road who covers them. Uh, but it is a good question to ask specifically of your person. So. One of the problems happens, though, when we see people from out of town also, and they fly you know, somewhere else from Washington and they have surgery and then they come back here and they have an issue and they don't want to fly back to California or New York or, or Peru or wherever they had their surgery. And so we're left with trying to handle their issues, whether it be a scar or the, or the shape of, of uh, contour or whatever. And I think it's always a good idea as a first choice that if you live in Washington, gosh, there are you know, plenty of plastic surgeons here. You don't have to fly to California to have good cosmetic surgery. You can have good cosmetic surgery right here. Thank yeah, and, and we try to be accommodating. We've seen several people that have had surgery somewhere else for you know as simple of a reason as, well, my friend had surgery with them, and so I thought I could stay with them in Florida and have surgeon recover there. And they're thinking recovery is going to be a week and they'll come back home. Well, there's complications that can come up at two or three weeks. And now you're hundreds of miles away from your surgeon. And a, a common thing we'll hear back from them is, I wish I would have done a little more research or I wish I would have, you know, maybe done something differently, not realizing that at a month after surgery, I can have an issue and I, do, I want my surgeon to be nearby. Perfect. So good. So know that your surgeon is going to be around or they have somebody around and also make sure that, uh, you're going to be around your surgeon for as long as you need to be. And so that's a question to ask them as well. And typically we have that laid out. We'll say, look, for this operation, you need to be around me for three weeks. This one, you need to be around me for five days because it's a, a little more. So we, we would do that that way. All right. Um, this is very generic and obviously it's not going to apply to every operation, but people come in and they want to say, does it hurt? Chris, what do you say to that? Um, I tell them it depends on the procedure because there are certainly some procedures we do that routinely patients say this was painful and I was taking pain pills for a week. Um, and so I tell, I try to tell people that pain is very different based on one patient to the other, but I give them an average of how long people are on pain pills because everything we do here is outpatient or 99% or of what we do is outpatient surgery. So you're going to go home afterward. And I tell people you can plan on being on pain pills for one week or two weeks or two days or whatever it may be. So. I'm curious to hear what you say, though, George, to people. Well, you know, I had some liposuction and a hernia repair about five weeks ago. You guys did it, and uh, Dr. Siegel uh, did it. And uh, I had it on a Friday, and I worked on Monday. Did it hurt? It did a little bit. And uh, I only took a few pain pills, and then I went to taking a leave in Tylenol, uh, but I could power through it a little bit. I mean, you're up and up and about, and you don't need to sit around in bed and, and take pain pills. Uh, but then there's some people whose pain tolerance is way less than that. Like currently, right now, I have a woman who had a tummy tuck about uh, five weeks ago, and she's still taking a lot of uh, pain pills. And then I saw one this morning who is a week post-op and is no longer taking any pain pills. And so it's, it's all over the board. And so it, it just depends on your pain tolerance and what your motivation is, how committed you are to working. I mean, there's, there's no reason why you can't work uh, after surgery, 
The question is, are you comfortable enough to work? Or if you have a facial procedure, do you feel like you look good enough to work? Yeah. Yes. And, and if you're going to be driving to and from work, that you're off pain pills. That's right. You have to be safe. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so safe. That's the next question. People say, is it safe? Just a blanket question. They're like, I'm going to have surgery. Is it safe? Well, like, are automobiles safe? Well, absolutely. You know? Are they dangerous? Well, they can be, right? But uh, I think cosmetic surgery is safe. Everybody worries about the anesthesia. I feel like that anesthesia is very safe. We have four great anesthetists, and I would let any of them put me to sleep any day. They are, they are excellent. I think that we are in an inherently unsafe world. You know, from the, from the second you come out of your, your mama's womb and you get a slap on the bottom, you recognize that the world's out to get you. So is it safe? It's as safe as we can possibly make it, and there are inherent risks with everything. So um, you'll talk about those specifically with your your surgeon, um, but uh, make sure that somebody that's board certified and check on their safety record. Say, what do you do? That's the follow-up question. It's like, well, if I have a problem, what do I do? Here, um, we have an accredited facility. We have everything that's necessary in any type of uh, emergent situations, and then we do mock drills to cover those types of situations. And so make sure that they do those types of things I actually well. feel that, that we are safer here in our facility than I am operating in the hospital. If I'm in a hospital, you know, I'm, I'm down the corridor in a room by myself with an anesthetist. Here, you know, if I have an issue, you know, you've got four surgeons and four anesthetists and you can get help immediately. And I don't have that opportunity in, in the hospital. Yeah. Things hospitals have, they have specialists that we wouldn't have in an outpatient. You would have a cardiologist, um, you have some of those things in-house, maybe an ability to take x-rays, but I've never had to take an x-ray during an operation in the past 18 years. Okay, next, what am I going to tell people? <laughs> That's all the time. They're like, what am I going to tell people? The truth is easiest if you can tell people the truth, and most people don't want to do that. So what, what other things have you So you're, you're saying a, a patient will ask you, what do I tell people in terms of how are they going to hide what yeah, they've had Yeah, they'll done? say, what might I okay. tell somebody? I'm going to have these kind of bruises. What other thing might I be having done that I could blame this on? I try to blame it on the dentist as often as possible. <laughs> if I, you know, anything that's on the face, especially fill, is, these fillers, lip injections, nasolabial folds. I tell people you had you had teeth pulled, and your rough dentist must have given you a bruise right there. Yeah, so you try to pull that one off, and you know what people are going to say. You know she had a facelift. She did, but but don't don't say it. She doesn't want anybody to know. Yeah. And so what they'll do behind your back is they will figure out what you had done, and then talk about you. You know, I had my eyes done a, a long time ago, and and I had raccoon eyes, and I would go to the grocery store in Great Falls, and people would look at me, and then they'd look away. But then when I said, oh, I, I had my eyes done last week, then they would engage me in a conversation about my eyes. It's like people are interested, and uh, they're interested for themselves. And so if you're just honest about it, it's the easiest way. But some people have to make up a story like they were in an automobile accident or something like yeah. that. I don't know if that flies. but Well, that, that, that comes up the, uh, a question out, how much time am I going to need off? So people will ask that. And that's different for facial surgery and for body surgery, but it flows out. You know, how long are you going to need to be? Well, how much do you care of what you look like to other people? That's if, right. you, if you say that you absolutely could not have anybody know anything, I say, you know what? You may need three or four weeks because there could be little things that linger out there. I've had patients that felt you know something bothered them for six weeks. It's tiny. I can't really see it, but it's there. And I've had people go out two days later, you know, just a bit because they didn't care. 
So. Yeah, it depends on how you feel about how you look. You know, they ask me, when can I work? You can work tomorrow if you don't care what you look like. Yeah. Right? And I, for, for facial surgery, I'll often say you can be out among strangers at two weeks with makeup without scaring anybody. Okay? Now, if you want to fool your friends, then it's a little longer than that. Yeah. So it just it depends uh, on how you feel about the way you look. Yeah, and I think facial surgery is the longest. People can get back earlier with liposuction or breast implants or something like that. You can and hide that easy. A good, a good answer for that is uh, you had to have some female surgery. That is if you're female. So right. it's like no one you, wants to ask any other questions. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if my wife and I don't want to go somewhere, I always say, well, let's, you know, I'll tell them that you had bloody crampy diarrhea and nobody's going to answer. <laughs> nobody's going to be like, oh my gosh, uh, well, tell, me, tell me more about that. So if you, <laughs> you say I had to have some female surgery, they pretty much leave you alone. All right. Um, this is again, generic and we're, we're talking across the country. People are going to say, how much does it cost? Um, and again, it's that it's very procedure specific. Um, and you'll just have to get into that cost with your surgeon. But a follow-up on that is, well, Dr. X down the street is $1,000 cheaper. Why are you more? Or it might be the others. They say, hey, Dr. X down the street is $2,000 more. Why are you cheaper? George. Uh, that's always a good question. Someone can always do it cheaper. And so it, it depends on where you want to cut the corners. Do you want to use, you know, less skilled nurses and pay them less? Do you want to use cheaper sutures? Do you want to use less anesthesia? For instance, uh, you know, when I have my liposuction, I want to be asleep, but it can be done way less expensively if you just use local anesthesia. And so uh, nobody ever asked me, you know, how they can find the cheapest heart surgeon. You know, why would you try to find the cheapest plastic surgeon? And so it, it's, it, there is, there's what it costs, uh, there's the quality of what you have bought, whatever it is, and then there's the service that you get afterwards. You can't have the very cheapest of anything and have the best quality and the best service. You know, you're going to have to compromise somewhere. And so I never look for the cheapest uh, plastic surgery uh, save on a you buying a used car. Don't save on on surgery on your face because every surgeon is created differently, just like every golfer is differently. You know, you you can't have the very best at the very cheapest. It just doesn't work out that way. Yeah, and at the other end of that, people that are more expensive, they're actually that can be a strategy that someone just says, you know what. I'm going to be the most expensive, and because I charge the most, it's going to make it look like I must be the best. The Mercedes mentality. Yeah, it's right there. It must be that way. Or it's just like I'm going to put my office on Fifth Avenue or in Beverly Hills and get instant uh, street cred because of that. And so pricing to what your surgeon needs to support the type of environment that he's put around himself as far as staff and facilities and safety. Uh, I tell people to minimize the price wise, you know, to go see two or three people. If you're unsure and you're really worried about price, go see two or three different surgeons, um, figure out the one that you like the best, you like their facility the best or the most comfortable with. And then whatever that price is, save some money and, and get the surgery done right. Because it's not going to be as cheap to get it done twice. I promise that. And I'll just blend that to a later question that is, well, what happens if I'm not happy? So that's something people will ask at the very first. And it's actually a great question to ask at the beginning. They're like, well, what if I'm not happy? And when I look at that, I say, well, there's a few things. There's a few reasons you cannot be happy. One is it might be something that 
you and I both see that we both wished had healed a little bit better, had been you know a little bit nicer. Um, there's things that you uh, see that I don't see, um, or there's things that you see and I see, but I think the risk of making it better is not worth the chance of what we're going to have to do. And the things that you see and I see that we both think we can make a little bit better, I want to really fix those or improve them as I can because I want you out there talking to your friends and doing good. And I, and I will do that as I can. For things that you see that I don't see, I don't want to mess it up. You know, and I'll be honest, I'm like, I don't think I can make that any better. And in that case, I'm just going to say, you know what? Honestly, I don't think there's anything more that I have to offer you. In those cases, sometimes what you'll do is you'll bring in one of your partners mm -hmm. and say, do you think that you can improve this? And what we look at is, well, what's, what are the chances that I can make it better? And what are the chances that I'll create a flaw that's worse than what you have? Some of the things that we do are millimeters or fractions of millimeters. And sometimes it's, it's not possible you know, to make something better without risking making it worse at, at that level. You may have had, you may have a 99% result, which is excellent, and that you, you would show your before and after pictures on the cover of the Washington Post, uh, but you want it better. Well, there's a, there's a risk to trying to make it better. Maybe we don't think that we should try, but if we think that we can make it better, we're perfectly willing to do that. Yeah. All right, um, Chris, this goes back to George and talking about his anesthesia uh, experience. Can I just do this under local? Sometimes, but usually not. You know, there's a few surgeries that we'll do like upper eyelids or something just under local anesthesia. Um, most of the time, it's safer to go to sleep completely, depending on the procedure that you're having done. Um, but if it's something small and you want it under local, sure, we can do it. Um, the nice thing is, or, or the thing you should kind of seek out is you want somewhere that can do everything. If you're at a place that can only do local, that's only set up to do local anesthesia, well, guess what? The answer is yes, local and everything. Yeah. Um, so you want somewhere that, you know, they can do local, um, they can do conscious sedation, which is kind of in between, or they can do full general anesthesia. And then they'll pick the one that's safest for you as opposed to the one that's most convenient. Yeah. But we're going to have pe people who's like, well, I know I can get this done under local doctor so-and-so. And George is, is famous about saying, we'll take out your appendix under local. Well, when I was a surgery resident, I saw a woman who was so ill that had to be operated on that we took out part of her colon under local anesthesia. Well, I, so you can do that. The question is, what's the safest and what's the most comfortable? For me, I would like lights off, lights on. It's done. You wake up and you go, when are we going to do it? And, it? and it's all over. You can do a lot of these procedures under local anesthesia, but they are uncomfortable. It just dep depends on, on what you want to do. But if you want it comfortable, you need general anesthesia. And, and uh, let's just talk about anesthesia for a second. It, it ranges from just straight up local anesthesia, where you inject some lidocaine and numb it up with you wide awake, all the way to where you can't feel anything. If you can't feel anything and respond to pain, it, it is general anesthesia. Uh, whether or not it's just an IV or, or whether it's general anesthesia with an endotracheal tube. Uh, and so uh, we talk to our patients and, and we try to do it the way they want it done. But, you know, I don't want to do a full abdominoplasty with liposuction under local. But there are a lot of, like you say, a lot of non-plastic surgeons that are doing liposuction under local anesthesia in their offices because they don't have the capacity to do it under general And, and it's not the same kind of liposuction. That's it the is perfect not. point. You can get liposuction under local, yes. 
but you cannot get the same quality or the same you know amount of aggressiveness of liposuction um, under local because it will be too painful. Yeah, well, I don't I don't want to be worrying about your comfort while I'm trying to focus on to getting your result. You'll notice that when Tiger Woods is putting, he is not paying attention to his caddy or anything else. He's focused on what he's doing. And so if my focus is on your comfort, it's it's not on how good I'm, I can get your procedure. That's excellent. That's And that's very similar to the way I respond to patients. Is I can do anything, but I would tend not to because you're going to get a suboptimal result. That's right. Under local. Because I'm not into having you be uncomfortable. If you say, I can take the pain, but I can't be uncomfortable seeing you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really just changes how, you know, the word Chris used aggressive, but it's really how much you're willing to do. And we unfortunately see a number of results from uh, places in the community uh, where people have done it under straight local and the results have been suboptimal. They're not that good. And then we're coming back trying to make that better. So can it be done under local? Yeah, but our experience is that it's not always the best. All right, why do I have to have a support person? Or do I have to have somebody take care of me after surgery? Well, of course you do. It's not it's not drive-through uh, surgery. You, you can't have anesthesia and drive yourself home. Uh, it would be like you know drinking heavily and, and driving home. Um, we no longer put people in the hospital for these procedures because we don't think that, that number one, that you, that you need necessarily a, a registered nurse to take care of you overnight. You just need someone there to make certain that, that when you get up to go to the bathroom that you don't you know, fall and bump your head on the toilet and have no one, no one there uh, with you. Um, plus, we think that you'll get better care at home because if you, we send you to the hospital, you're going to have a nurse taking care of seven patients probably uh, and so at home, you're going to have someone focused on you. So the support person uh, routine is very good. You have someone uh, with you in your own bed at home and taking care of you. Uh, but you, you have to have someone to drive you home and bring you in the next day to, to see us. That's just uh, good surgical care. Yeah. And, and to stay with you in between. I don't know if it was your patient years ago, George, but that was staying with a private duty nurse and he had her drive him to his car that was wherever, parked miles away or whatever. Yes, I think that was my patient. And then he was going to go out and he was going to get something out of the car. So she stopped, let him get in the car. He hopped in and drove off. Yes, and he had an accident at the end of the street as well. So, <laughs> so after, after anesthesia, it's not a good idea to get in your car. Plus, you were liable. No internet shopping, no driving. Um, all right, Chris, when can I resume marital relations? As soon as you're ready, is what I say. I don't have any uh, necessary restriction. I guess there, there may be some. If I've got people having... ready the night of surgery, so I don't know if I can. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if, you know, we do, we do labiaplasty. We do surgery on, on the vagina sometimes, and so that may be a little bit longer than if you've had, you know, um, breast implants or a facelift or something like that. But my general rule is if, if you've had like a larger surgery, like a tummy tuck or something like that, nothing to get your blood pressure or pulse up for a week because it can lead to bleeding. Um, after that, it's uh, it's up to the patient. George, what do you say? I say just not in our parking lot. <laughs> you know, let, comfort, let comfort be your guide, but not in our parking lot. Fantastic. And I generally say um, I equate it to exercise and I let people back to light exercise after two weeks. And I say, you know, if you're just walking on a treadmill, then the relations should be just like that. And at six weeks, you're back to Zumba and it should be like that. And uh, uh, there's 
Well, but at six weeks, it's CrossFit or something. <laughs> exactly, something like that. Uh, am I too old? Uh, well, last year I did a facelift on a 90-year-old woman, so you're probably not too old. Age is not the factor so much as health is the factor. And so uh, we operate on teenagers for certain things, or we operate on children for, for uh, uh, their ears uh, at five or six, and we can do facelifts on uh, 80 or 90-year-olds. I've done, the oldest tummy tuck I've done is an 83-year-old. But the trick is that you have to be cleared by your physician and be in good enough shape to go through the procedures in order to tolerate the procedure and the anesthesia, and then you're fine. doesn't matter your age. Yeah, it's, it's about health, not age. There are 30-year-olds who are not appropriately healthy, uh, either physically or psychologically. And there are people in their 80s who, who are. The older you get as a surgeon, the older it seems it's okay. <laughs> so, that's, so, so we're getting... Maybe so. Um, how long does it last? Chris, you got an, you got an answer for that? I, all, I feel like all of my answers start with depends. Um, but it depends on the surgery. I mean, if you do a tummy tuck, I think the muscle plication and the flattening of your abdomen should be lifelong. As long as you maintain your weight. But if you get a facelift, your face continues to age. It continues to sag. So I think, you know, do people ever get a redo facelift? Sure. What's the earliest? Maybe seven years. Do you feel like you have to get one at seven years? Absolutely not. If you if you go in and get one at seven years, you're still going to look better than you did before your first facelift. But some things we do are not forever. Same with breasts. You know, breasts continue to age. Gravity continues to take effect. I tell people that in a sense... Cosmetic surgery lasts forever in the sense that you will always look better than you would have had you not had it done. Sure. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I'm old enough to be doing the, the second or sometimes the third facelifts on some of my patients. And in general, what I see is my patients that come back 10 years later and want to talk about another facelift still look better than they did 10 years ago before their first facelift. So if you can tell me that 10 years from now, I will still look better than I do today. Well, gee, that's a pretty good promise. I think I'll sign up for that. Yeah. That's, that it's actually incredible. I'm, I'm working on trying to get my facelifts to only last two or three years, so you'll have to come back sooner. But I haven't <laughs> been figured out how to do that. Maybe if I do these minimal little uh, uh, mini-lift kind of things that I can get you coming back every two or three years. Well, it's the, uh, the, the liposuction sometimes doesn't take, right? The <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've heard some of your patients yeah, come okay. back. and well, after, Dr. Siegel, he's not here. We can throw his him <laughs> well, well, I know that. So, okay, some of, some of my partner's patients come back and after uh, liposuction for their photos at, at three months after, and maybe they've gained 10 or 20 pounds, and they say, it didn't work on me. Yeah. And I know that your comment is, well, you know, you can eat faster than I can suck, uh, which is which is exactly right. And so, you know, I, I had liposuction done, I believe, in 1996. I weigh about the exact same thing that I did then, and it has not, quote, come back, because if you stay at a stable weight, uh, it will not come back, and you will not ruin your result. It'll just look good forever. Yeah. Good. Um Am I being vain? Generally, they feel bad about what they're doing. They, they are talking themselves into it and out of it at the same time. And their question is, don't you think I'm being vain? Vain people don't come into my practice. You know, vain people think, 
I'm perfect already. Why should I consider cosmetic surgery? Now, that's vain. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but the rest of us just want to feel good about the way we look. We used to think that cosmetic surgery was just for the rich, vain, and foolish, but I don't I don't think that anymore. Yeah. It's uh, it's bigger than that. Right. I don't think that the people ask, am I being vain or vain? It's, it's other people, like you said, that there are people that have a certain degree of vanity about them, and they're not they're not asking that question. They're, they're coming in with other other questions, but, other issues. You know there's a certain permission, an internal granting of permission that you have to give yourself in order to go through uh, cosmetic surgery. Uh, some people feel guilty that, you know, they're, they're not using the money for their children or giving it to the church or whatever. And so there's a guilt thing that some people have about spending the money on themselves. Maybe if you're a mother and, you, and, and you've always... Uh, you know, been a giver for your family and everything and never done anything for yourself, you feel guilty about coming in and spending money on yourself. Yeah. All right, Chris, how big of implants should I get? Not me personally. <laughs> Somebody comes in and they're, they're going to ask you that question. Well, I mean, they make breast implants from the one or 200 size, you know, CC small up to a thousand. And so you can get any size you want. Um, generally, the bigger you go, the more complications you will have. Um, but I try to tell people, you know, we have, my job is to help you, um, choose one, but you're going to choose it. And so we have lots of sample implants and we'll have people put on a surgical bra and put sample implants in them and then try a, a top on and look in the mirror. And you can say if that person looking back at you in the mirror has too large a breast implants or too small, um, that's one tool. And we also have Vectra imaging. Um, which is a special three-dimensional camera that you'll stand in front of, take your shirt off. It takes a picture of you. Um, we build a 3D model of your body, and then you can actually put breast implants in that 3D model, and you get an idea of how that person's going to look. Because it's hard to say what, what I think is too big and what you think is too big may be very different things. With that uh, vector, what I found, uh, now that I'm starting to see some patients that I've done their surgeries and we come back and we look at their pictures on the vector before, the machine does not make them look as good as they actually look. That's true. In uh, in real life, in, in their before and afters. It just it doesn't alter things quite as nicely as you'd want. And it'll get better, and, and but it's still good technology. I, like a lot of surgeons, measure my patients, and I kind of give them some parameters that I think are reasonable. I'll say your breast is this wide, it's this tall, here's how big of an implant still fits on your chest. We can go bigger than that, but that's going to increase the complications like Dr. Knott said, you know, increased chance of not uh, having sensation to your nipple or, you know, having contracture or having ripple. Or it's going to look fake. You know, I mean, fake. some people come in and they say, I want people to know I've had fake breasts. Okay, perfect. Go. We need to go big. Yeah. You know, if you don't want the whole world to know and you're not planning on a change of career anytime soon and you want a natural one to two cup size thing, I mean, it's around 150 cc's per cup. So if you're an A cup and you want to be a C, you're looking in the 300 range. Um, and, and, but it does depend on your anatomy and your measurements and that's the kind of way you have to come in and sit down, but... Yeah, it often comes down to shape versus size. Are you more interested in a shapely breast or just a big, unshapely breast, possibly? And so there's a line somewhere. There's a line where bigger is less shapely. And, and I think that that line is probably different for everyone. Uh, but just like Byron said, you, you measure the width of the patient's breast preoperatively. Let's say it's 12 centimeters wide. Well, if you put a breast implant in that's 14 centimeters wide, it's either going to be in your armpit uh, because it's too wide or it's going to be a uniboob or it's going to curl up and wrinkle. And so it needs to fit like your foot in your shoe, you know, the proper width. 
and we have different choices within those widths, from a low-profile implant to a high-profile implant. And so if you have a narrow chest and you want a big breast implant, it has to be you know, a, a narrow, high-profile implant. And so we help you with that. Um, but oftentimes, I think it does come down to shape versus size. Good. Any questions that you guys get that uh, I haven't thought of or jotted down or we didn't take off the list? Gosh, uh, put me on the spot. If I sit down and think about it, I could probably come up. Yeah, we would probably have another say. Maybe those are the most common. And if you have questions, send them to us. Send them to us. We'll talk about it. Yeah, and uh, I've uh, directed people before. I said go to our website and send us an inquiry. And and I told this in the last uh, podcast as well. We actually don't have an inquiry button. We have a contact well, us section. We have a section. new website, so we it's, new it's website. hard to even know what we have on Yeah, it. so there is a contact us. You can go in there, put in some information, put in your question uh, for the webcast. Uh, this is Austin Weston, the Center for Cosmetic Surgery, uh, located in Reston, Virginia. Myself, Dr. Byron Poindexter, here with Dr. George Weston, Dr. Christopher Knotts, missing our partner, Dr. Robert Siegel, who's enjoying the good life in Italy right now. Maybe next time we'll talk about hair color and cosmetic surgery. That, that's a topic dear to my heart. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> when I joined the practice, Dr. Weston had gray hair. <laughs> now it's much, much Not better. anymore, baby. So how did it's that well. happen? So, great question. So, fantastic. Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N hyphen Weston, W-E-S-T-O-N dot com. Uh, and we'll see you on the web. Now you can even tweet your questions at P Surgery Nation. Hoo-ah! Awesome.